Now, everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Death isn't complicated. Death just a switch. It gets flipped off. What in the hell have you gotten yourself mixed up in? Be worried, Maggie. Takes a certain kind of man to do that kind of thing. Hollowed out in the inside. Johnny! Hardest rock. Kind of like this quarry. I am much of a choice. Welcome to Everything Old is New Again. This is Douglas Viviani with the uh, ever-impressionable David Cohen. Yes. And we are happy uh, this week to introduce, uh, we'll be doing that in a few moments, so the, the show Quarry and the creators of the show, as well as a musical consultant uh, of note. So uh, we're happy to, to really uh, have some fun this week. We're going to spend some time exploring the new Cinemax show that, uh, as we all know, appeared uh, on, the, on your screens uh, on Friday, September 9th for the first installment at 10 o'clock. Young David Cohen. And introduce our guests. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, we have with us today uh, three people. So let me introduce Michael Fuller and Graham Gordy first, uh, the writing team behind the show Quarry. Uh, Michael and Graham created the show uh, The Wreck, which was set in the world of big time collegiate football. Um, and also wrote for the show Rectify on uh, Sundance Channel. And we're really, really excited to have them here to talk about uh, Quarry. And also with us is, is David Porter, who is an internationally renowned songwriter, uh, cornerstone of the legendary Stax Records, really excited about that. Uh, David was uh, inducted into the National Songwriters Hall of Fame in New York City, wrote some of my favorite songs, uh, legendary songs such as soul man uh up through you know getting jiggy with it by uh will smith so david and uh graham and michael welcome <laughs> all right Glad to be here Great thank you excellent well, thanks for having us it's it's a pleasure we're going to just dive into a little uh quick question as to because it's a kind of an odd we heard a little bit but a kind of an odd name what and i'll throw it i guess to michael or graham whichever one you want to take this what does quarry mean with respect to this show, so uh, this is this is Michael and uh, and you know we'll, we'll I'll 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 Graham will jump in and, and piggyback here uh, on this, uh, but it's it's first of all you know the, the show is based on a series of books um, by uh, very prolific and, and wonderfully talented writer Max Allen Collins and uh, and so the name Quarry the the man who approaches our main character. Um, he, he's, uh, his name's the broker and he has uh, kind of a contract with criminals and, and, uh, and hitmen that he employs. And he, each of them have, you know, in, in the, in the true sense of, of working in crime and living double lives have code names. And so, uh, he dubs our main character, uh, Corey based on a, the meeting location, uh, where they, a place where they meet, meet up and then the parallels between the rock quarry being hollowed out, uh, as you heard in the intro and, and, you know, hard as rock, and he's making a direct parallel between the physical location and our main characters, you know, making a judgment of his soul in a way, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we really explore is how much of, of that uh, nickname is, is accurate and how much of it uh, is actually not what's in Max heart. I think, Graham, does that feel like a... Yeah, I think that sounds absolutely right, and, you know, in in the novels, the other, you know, if you sort of look up a quarry uh, in the dictionary, the sort of third or fourth definition down is is also a target. Uh, you know, some some sort of uh, 
uh, object of of of, uh, of someone's you know prey basically. And so anyway, that that that's that's another part of it that that kind of plays out uh, over the over the, uh, the the several novels that uh, that Max wrote. Now, so, yeah. now, now Max Allen Collins, who is a prolific writer, he did uh, the Road to Perdition novels, which later became the new movie. Just so, so listeners get a little grasp of this, if you're not totally familiar with Tom Hanks and and, and Paul Newman, uh, he also did uh, took over the Mickey Spillane novels, which was the Mike Hammer ca- uh, character. So I want to warn everyone here that uh, that Max Allen Collins, who, from what I understand, uh, certainly is a resident of uh, Muscatine, Iowa, and a shameless plug here we're broadcasting in that area on kxel zwoe awesome. and, uh, and wsdr all of reach all of which reach into that area so we'll have to be careful because we never know we may have a special listener uh looking over our shoulders here what do you say uh <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we we would. If that actually would be that would be terrific. We'd love for, for Max to, to hear this, and uh, and you know he's he's been a wonderful uh, collaborator. This is a character that he you know he wrote uh, the original Corey novel as part of the Iowa Writers Workshop back in the early seventies. So so as he as he's uh, fond of saying, it's, it's he said it's a little surreal to have something that he wrote as contemporary now become a period piece. Um, when it's when it's realized on screen, so uh, but he's been an incredibly generous collaborator in trusting uh, Graham and I and and, and all of the wonderful team uh, that we assembled for the show to you know with this character that he's lived with for you know upwards of forty years and uh, and you know over the course of, of a dozen novels, uh, so it's it's really you know it's it's one that's obviously near and dear to him, and, but he was you know he was very generous and he's been very very. Uh, complimentary and is you know and actually wrote uh, one of the episodes of the season. Right, and and this question is for uh, David Porter. David, can you talk a little bit about what your involvement is with Quarry? Well, you know the the, the fact that the period that this that series is in speaks to a time when out of Stacks Records in Memphis, we had music that really really resonated nationally and internationally, dealing in, on a highly emotional level. So the so the music is reinforced the the of the time and the, the kind of uh, abilities to relate to the subject matter in an emotional way. There was music that was so profound coming from Motown and the like, but in Memphis you had a soulfulness that served to the uniqueness of, of where we were coming from, and uh, this storyline just was a perfect set for that. Now, this storyline, just so we know, starts, I believe, in 1972 when the main character is coming back from the Vietnam War, Correct. That's correct. That's yes. right. Okay, and and that being the case, I wonder because you know the Fuller Gordy team, if you will, writing team uh, is credited with six of the eight episodes. You did say uh, Mr. Collins did one, and there's a young lady that, uh, that does another one. But uh, since you've done the lion's share, there must be some kind of a healthy fascination with the Quarry novels. Maybe one or, or both of you, Michael or Graham, could tell us uh, what about the novels uh, bring you to the point where you want to create the show. Uh, yeah, this is Graham. I mean, you know, we, uh, Michael and I were initially talking about a project. We were in the Rectify writer's room, and we were wanting to kind of kind of write something on our own, and we were circling, you know, the 70s as a decade to, to set it in, and we were um, really interested in the South. Uh, we're both from the South. I'm from Arkansas. Michael's from South Carolina. Um, and, you know, we were reading a lot about sort of Southern criminality in the 70s, Dixie Mafia uh, sort of material, and then Michael actually found the the Corey novels. And once we once we dug in, 
we'd been doing a lot of research about the time and place. Uh, and then once uh, Michael found the Corey novels and we dug in, uh, it was really interesting to us because, you know, as Michael said, uh, Max wrote the the first the first uh, Corey novel in the early 70s. And, you know, this is about a guy who's come back from Vietnam and kind of gets pulled into, uh, you know, un- unwillingly gets sort of pulled into this sort of criminal network. And um, what struck us, even though it was written in the early 70s, was that this was a guy that seemed to be suffering from PTSD. Um, and, you know, that, that was a, a subject that we started kind of exploring more and thinking about and talking to other veterans from the time. And, uh, you know, we, it, it all became this great, the, the combination of those things and then and finding the setting of, of, of Memphis the, the novels themselves, you know, start uh, up more kind of in the Quad Cities in in, uh, in in Iowa, but, you know, sort of move up and down the Mississippi a little bit. And us being Southern guys, we kind of, you know, started it off moving it down a little bit. And the rich musical history of Memphis, as well as the great, um, the, the sort of the narrative bones that, that Max had already created and uh, our ability to sort of pull from those uh, was just able to kind of enrich it into, uh, you know, what felt like a real show. Very good. We'll be back on Everything Old is New again in a couple of moments here to continue with our discussion of Quarry. Come on back. Everything Old is New again. All right, now we have another uh, minute and a half here just that we're going to uh, dive into a, a smidge of uh, discussion. I, I just wanted to see if uh, uh, there's anything uh, that you would like to present to us in terms of, Mr. Porter, uh, wh- what you were doing behind the scenes as a consultant on this uh, show. Well, uh, and nothing more than trying my best to be sure that the material related to the emotional kind of aspect that was happening uh, out of Memphis, uh, in the respect of music was a comfort food. It was a kind of, uh, emotional comfort and that kind of relief to take you from the times and the circumstances that you were dealing with and, and trying to be sure that, that the song selections that, uh, I was looking for as a, as a suggestion would actually feed into that. But it was quite easy because all of the music that we were doing during that time was now, really- now, did you have an opportunity to see any of the shows before you did this, or did you, what sort of instruction would you provide as to what the show would be like and what they're looking for in terms of this, this mood? Well, I was able to read quite a bit before the shows were shot, and then I was also able to be on set as well. But uh, I was able to read quite a bit, and uh, that gave me a, a, a great deal of insight about what I needed to, to attempt to look for. Excellent. We'll be back right after this, and everything old is new again for another dive into Quarry. Let's uh, see what this is all about. We're having some fun. And everything old is new again. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I'm offering you the chance to make real money right here home doing what you did for Crackerjacks overseas. Prevent the spirit of communism? Mm, you can research a lot about a man, but you can't research the sense of humor. No, son, I provide a service. People have problems, I provide solutions. Where are you? You asking me what I think you're asking me? That's what it is you think I'm asking. My guess is, smart guy like you. you- 
Welcome to Everything Old is New again. That was cut off a little bit there, but that's a little bit of the, uh, what would you say, titillating introduction to Quarry. And this is uh, uh, Everything Old is New again. We're with Michael Fuller, with Graham Gordy, and with David David Porter. We're having some fun talking about the new Cinemax show uh, that's been on the air for, uh, last week, uh, Friday at uh, 10 o'clock. And uh, certainly I'm sure they have that on demand as well. you got to check this show out from the beginning. This is um, something that is set in 1972 to begin with. And uh, just to refresh our recollection, we've got, of course, Nixon versus McGovern political presidential race. You've got the Vietnam War. Uh, This is happening in Memphis basically four years after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So my question would be, again, I'll throw it to uh, to Michael or or Graham. Um, You know, I would presume that these events have some kind of impact on the story, or am I wrong in this is just the background to the story of Quarry. No, so this is Michael, and, and no, absolutely, there were, you know it was a very uh, deliberate choice on our part to, to set it in 1972, and uh, you know we we, we initially discussed uh, modernizing it and, and setting it in contemporary times, and you know obviously we can draw on the Iraq War and, and uh, veteran returning from there Afghanistan, but we, what we really realized was that. First of all, it was, it was just such a rich and, and amorphous time in history. You know, it was the, there was the idealism of the '60s, uh, but the '60s didn't really end on December 31st, 1969. You know, as decades kind of bleed over into each other, and, and then you know we've seen so much of the, the narcissism and excess of the '80s and the '70s were this kind of weird amorphous bridge between those two eras, and and so you know, like the Vietnam War ending, the election. Uh, and as you said, I mean, four years after uh, MLK's assassination, that that wound was still very, very raw and and, and open uh, in Memphis, and and you know, it was just it was really interesting to us to to explore that time in that city specifically at that time, and you know, in general, American history was so so rich then, but specifically Memphis, you know, going through such a transition time after you know such an unspeakable tragedy. And and then you know that kind of also being embodied in the lead character of of Matt Conway and, and him going through a transition of, of coming home and thinking it's going to be one way and, and everything has changed and has kind of left him behind in, in so many regards. So and we really do draw on and try to without you know without being too uh, ostentatious about it draw on and, and pepper the show with those historic details. And you know I, I think the thing that's great about setting something in a period that Graham and I really were responded to was, you know, we can draw parallels to modern day without, you know, hanging a lantern on it. And, you know, people can make connections to see how far we've come since 1972 and then how far we still have to go uh, in so many regards. And, and that's right up the uh, alley of everything old is new again. Uh, we, we take a nostalgic look to the future, if you will, and uh, that makes any sense. And we're looking back in the 70s and, and how relevant some of those issues are today. Uh, we can't forget, you know, history. We're doomed to repeat it again And if we do. And, and uh, I'll tell you, there's a, also an event of the Munich Olympics. We just came off on Olympics just now. Of course, from Rio, we've got the, the Munich Olympics has, has, has got such highs and lows with Mark Spitz being so high. In that event, you know, winning I think seven golds, and then there was uh, hostage taking and all of that uh, that low that happened. Does that parallel in any way the the ad- adventure, if you will, of the, of the main character or his journey in Quarry? 
yeah, this is Graham. You know, the the uh, I mean, in terms of the Olympics itself, uh, well, in terms of our main character too. You know, the the reason that plays in, in in a way is that he has a history of you know water plays through the entire season. He sort of built this own pool in his backyard with his you know with his own hands. He was a high school swimmer, and I think that that was his sort of aspiration and and all that. And then so you know you do see. Uh, play out in in episode four. You know uh, they're sort of stuck in in this place watching this television with Mark Spitz. You know as you're saying, reaching these highs and maybe what what Mac would have uh, uh, aspired to uh, the most. And then at the same time, he is at his uh, absolute nadir uh, uh, in terms of uh, you know where where he's come. And so um, the, the the and you know, also the the way the sort of hostage taking parallels, you know, what goes on in that uh, in that episode with them sort of uh, you know hiding out as it were. So, yeah, there's you know there's a lot of a lot of parallels uh, for that specifically, and then you know just just in general we tried to draw on a lot of uh, what was going on in Memphis at the time in terms of the beginning of of uh, busing. Uh, white flight, uh, the sort of uh, wound of MLK's death being kind of uh, reopened in a way because of the the busing controversy at the time, and um, yeah, so we tried to pull pull from all of that. So uh, David uh, David Porter is a uh, Hall of Fame songwriter. Uh, now you've lived through that, and now we're going back to to see uh, you're seeing that in hindsight, and you're now putting in music into I would say this. I guess the soundtrack of the show. So the the question is, uh, how are you choosing to do that with music that we'll recognize? Is this different music that maybe B sides of songs or, or singles that we haven't heard before, or where are we going with the music? Because when I understand, uh, you know, and what I've seen, music is almost another character in the show. Well, it it, it is, and like like as I say, I'm just such a tremendous fan of the writing, and certainly of Corey and. And, and Max and all of his creations. So I wanted to be sure that I was capturing the essence musically of what I should. And music, you know, music is much more than just sounds to dance to. Certainly, uh, what we were trying to do back in the day was come up with something that had some emotional connectivity with it. Music was medicine to the mind, soul, and body. And, and music in two minutes and 40 seconds could take you on an emotional ride or take you out of your darkest hour or to a happy place. And, and you know, in, in episode one, Otis Redding was... Uh, the, the, the character, main character's emotional food, and so uh, I wanted to be sure that 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 uh, that gave a, a, a real opportunity for the music that we were creating, which had all the emotional connectivity that we were trying to create, as well as making you feel good and even dance to. Uh, I wanted to be sure that songs, whether they were hits or not, would, would resonate in that kind of way. And David, do you, are, are there any plans going forward for you to write at all? Any original music? Well, right now I'm building a, a, a multi-million dollar studio in downtown Memphis right now, and it's out of the motivation of, of a lot of what's going to be coming on in the future. So, yes, I'm writing and producing. I'll be in Los Angeles uh, in a week. and uh, uh, So uh, it, it's a lot going on, and, and certainly this great show uh, was a highly motivational thing for me. Good. And w- w- was there a period that, that you had stopped writing or at least, you know, slowed down in terms of the, of the volume of, of writing that you'd been doing? Well, actually, for the last three years, I've gotten a, a many of my friends, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind, Fire, Maurice White, and I grew up together. 
at the Creative Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I started a nonprofit in Memphis where just giving uh, the, the creative in, in, instincts that we use to, to create a, much of the music that became hits for us, passing that on to the next generation. So I have a serious program in Memphis that does that. It's called the Consortium MMT. And it's, uh, it, it, it was a, a big motivator for, for what I've been doing for the last three or four years. But uh, I'm also, as I mentioned, building a recording studio and recording new music now. That's great. I was I was hoping that, yeah to get that mention in of, of that uh, of that consortium you're heading up and and also good to hear that you'll be writing again soon as a, as a fan. I'm I'm very happy about that. Thank you so much. Excellent. We're going to be uh, right back on everything old is new again to continue to dive into uh, Quarry and uh, get us excited about this show, which uh, we all should be. It's a it's a great piece of work. It's a, almost a piece of artwork we need to examine now. Everything old is new again. We'll be right back. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I miss you so damn much, Joan. I think about us putting clean sheets on the bed, sleeping in together. I can't remember the last time I slept in. I think about you. I mean, you're my whole wide world, Miss Conway. You make what's bad about me good and what's good about me better. Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. This is, uh, of course, Douglas Viviani with the uh, ever-romantic David Cohen. Uh, <laughs> we are joined by and happy to be joined by, uh, uh, let's see, Michael Fuller and Graham Gordy from Quarry, as well as David Porter, Hall of Fame composer uh, that serves as a uh, musical consultant to Quarry, which, of course, is on Cinemax Friday nights, 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take a look at this. Uh, again, uh, Michael Fuller and Graham Gordy are... Uh, writers um, and uh, the creative force behind this TV show that came from a novel. So I do want to explore uh, a little bit of that. But before we do, that little bit of an intro showed us that there's more to this than, let's say, the, a period piece from the 70s. There's more to this than a, a fellow that was in, in a war that's coming back and trying to adjust to that and, and what difficulties he runs into, let's say. And, and there's a, of course, a, it seems to be a love story as well. Is that uh, correct? Do we have that kind of an element here, Michael or Graham? Yeah, this is this is Michael, and uh, absolutely. I mean, it's you know his his relationship and his love for his wife, uh, you know, Max, his love for his wife Joni, and it's it's beautifully and wonderfully realized uh, by our lead actor Logan Marshall Green and lead actress uh, Jody Balfour, but. Uh, it's you know that love and, and that hope for that relationship is really what got him through and helped him to survive war. I mean that was the you know getting back to her was was his motivation in so many ways, and yet it's it's complicated like so much of, of love often is, in that you know he reenlisted for a second tour because of the the unease he was starting to feel when he was home the first time, and and he you know willingly uh, elected to. To leave her again, so you know it's it's a it's a complicated relationship, but it is one that is is firmly rooted in, in a real love for these people, and we want you know we want to muddy it up and then clean it up and, and have you you know rooting for for them as a couple and rooting for them as uh, as an entity, and you know the 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 tapes the the clip that you played earlier that was you know born out of research that we did of the era that you know the tape recorder was was a fairly new invention. At that time, and it became a uh, you know a, a new way for soldiers and their families to communicate in a way that was 
you know, more more tangible and, and more immediate and visceral than uh, than a letter, and, and in some ways a lot more insightful because it's just you talking, and it, you, the stream of consciousness is really kind of revelatory in a lot of ways from some of the ones we listened to. So we thought it was a really interesting way to kind of convey what their relationship was before and while he was, you know, before he left for the second tour and while he was away. Um, and and along those lines, you discussed quarry and some uh, parallel to a quarry, which is. Uh, cold and heartless and, and sometimes a hole in the ground, so to speak. Um, would that love story, or at least the love that he has for his wife, would that be something where that the, the tries to soften him as an individual, soften the quarry in his soul, if you will? Um, is that struggle going back and forth as well between what he's doing, which might be considered on the dark side of life, versus love, which might be considered on the, the light side of life? Maybe yeah, perhaps? I, I think, yeah, this is yeah, this is this is Graham. I, you know, I think that the, you know we, uh, it, she really is the thing that you know sort of kept him alive emotionally to a degree while he was in, you know, in in the in the bush in the jungles in in Vietnam and, um, you know, it, it just it's it, it, it's one of those things where when he comes back, as he sort of gets pulled into a sort of domestic war, as it were, even though, you know, kind of invented and controlled by this character, the broker, uh, she, she's the, in some ways, the, the one kind of guiding hope of potentially pulling him out and continuing to remind him that there's some humanity left in him that he, that he feels, you know, that, that if there is emotion that he's still able to feel, despite everything that he's been through over the past few years, then uh, it's, it's because of her. Now, uh, David uh, Porter, just wondering if you're uh, attuned to this and when you're looking for music, I presume you're, you're presenting music that's already been recorded from back in the day that's going to be her on the show, I guess, correct? Yeah, yeah. In, in some cases, yeah, in most cases, yes. Okay. But uh, to that point, uh, uh, just as, as, as Gordon or, or Mike was, was saying, uh, that, that emotion that he... That, the elite character was dealing with coming from the walk and finding challenges, looking for the next day. Music could get you through as he was an emotional comfort with, with Otis Redding, but also in in one of the scenes we incorporated the song that Isaac Hayes and I wrote called "Little Bluebird." Little Bluebird, and that's talking the, the little bluebird is really uh, the beauty talking about the beauty of a female that 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 gets someone so emotionally excited until she hopes uh, uh, he hopes that she will land in his nest. And uh, so, uh, just just that song was put in the mix because it spoke, it speaks to how he was using that as as getting him through that war, often as those jungles as as Gordon and Mike uh, were just talking about. So I was trying to find material that would, that would also be complementary to the emotional connection for it. Little Bluebird uh, in, in the first episode, I think. Uh, I, I may have accomplished that. At least I hope I did. So I think maybe we might be able to consider, for people that are younger, let's say, that are watching this show, they're going to hear music, and even people that have been around that may not have remembered the music, they're going to be exposed to new, I'm going to put in quotes, new music to them that may uh, turn them on to this genre, if that makes sense. Well, Lil Duber has been covered by some of the greatest acts out there. I mean, if you Google the song, if one were to Google it, you'd see that it's been... It's one of those standards. We originally recorded it on, on Johnny Taylor many, many years ago, but it's one of those classics, and, but it speaks to the storyline, in my opinion, quite well. That's terrific. Uh, and it, yeah. 
Oh, no, just, this is Michael. I was just going to say, you know, we're working with uh, we're, we're Graham and I uh, are huge. I mean, that was a big motivation for setting the show. And Memphis is the, is the soul music uh, history and you know, how rich it is with that culture. And, and obviously, uh, Dave, is, is there's no person who's been more of a cornerstone of that, as you guys pointed out, than Dave. And, and even as, like, you know, people who are obsessed and huge fans of this, Dave shared so many songs that we had never heard or we had never been exposed to. So, I mean, it's just, and, and a lot of those ended up making it into the show, as he's pointing out. So it's, it's really a, um, it's, it's, even if you, even if you consider yourself a connoisseur or well-versed in the soul, there's, there's new, uh, discoveries within the show. That's what I mean. I love the idea that uh, everything old is new again. Hate to say it, but that's basically what uh, what we're saying. And if you're watching this show, you might be exposed to something that's uh, got some vintage to it that you're going to love today. That is new again. There yes. you go. Uh, along those lines, I just wanted <laughs> to ask um, because this is, just so we're clear, this is sort of um, a series, like a serial of the eight episodes, right? They, they might be standalone, but this is telling one long story. Is that uh, sort of make sense uh michael maybe yeah absolutely the uh the, so we're telling you know we're we're really taking so what you see in the pilot episode that is we start that story and it's and it's a serialized narrative and you know uh god god willing and the creek don't rise as, as it were we'll get a we'll get the chance to keep telling this story of these characters and in memphis in the you know this time period for another season but so we're, you know, what we start off in the pilot continues and carries over through the course of the season, and really diving into uh, Max's journey and, and you know Joni's journey as they as they're kind of pulled into this this underworld of, of criminality and corruption uh, in Memphis in 1972. Now, inspired by the novels or novel, it, will this uh, deviate in any way from the novel? You think, or will it uh, pretty much be honest, uh, truthful to the the novel itself? I hate to say it in like 15, 20 seconds. Well, uh, yeah, this, this is Graham. You know, we, we, uh, the, the, the character is sort of already in the, 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 the novels are, are, um, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of pulp genre novels. So, so Mac is sort of on the job. So our season one, there was a lot of invention because we had to sort of get to a creation story of where he gets in the novel. So, uh, Sort of starting forward, we'll be working, you know, more more closely, you know, and adhering more closely to those. Excellent. We'll be back on everything old is new again, and talk about Quarry, another uh, another section of this show. It's going to be great. Well, come on back. All right, so we're 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 back after that uh, that break, and and I'm sorry to have cut you off there like that, but uh, <laughs> we get to that get to that break. But um, it, it sounds also like. Um, like this anti-hero uh, is someone that I don't know if you, you're going to love to hate him or you will learn to love him. I guess we can explore that maybe in the next section if that works for you, uh, Graham or, or Michael. Okay, so that it, it, I'm on the the track. I mean, I think that uh, you you may really sort of not like this fellow, but want to see what his journey is. Yeah, I think it's you know it's very much. It, uh, at times that we, that we want we want the audience to be challenged uh, with their in their relationship with Mac and, and you know to to and at times to be rooting for him at times not understand his actions but you know at least be on the journey with him and, and I think that you know to to at least be able to and hopefully uh, while they, you know we may not make the same decisions to that, that he makes to at least understand uh, you know at least some of his motivation for behind them and, and a lot of the times those motivations aren't even clear to to him and won't become clear until later but you know really 
really showing that you know the the you know anti-hero and, and hero it's it's are such tricky things narratively, especially now in the modern TV landscape. That it's it's you know for us it's, this is this guy. You right. know, and this is his journey, and, and he's making these decisions. Excellent. We'll explore that a little bit more when we get back to on Everything Old is New Again. This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Reporting from Memphis Airport, a not-so-welcome home for Lance Corporal Arthur Solomon and Sergeant Matt Conway, two local Marines who were implicated but ultimately cleared in the supposed Quan Thing massacre earlier this year. Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. This is Douglas Viviani with David Cohen, and uh, we're enjoying a visit with uh, creators and uh, the power behind um, the Quarry, which is on uh, every Friday night, 11, I'm sorry, 10 o'clock, uh, on Cinemax with uh, Graham Gordy and uh, Michael Fuller. And we're also spending some time with uh, David Porter, Hall of Fame composer, who's associated with the uh, the program, providing uh, another character, if you will, the, the music uh, background of this, uh, I guess we could say, period piece, a show that takes place in the early 70s. Uh, that little uh, clip was a little bit about the beginning of the program and how the main character or characters are, are returning home from Vietnam, and I'm wondering um, about that, uh, you know, Mr. Porter, you, you lived through that, and having characters, uh, or I should say people, come back from Vietnam, and it was a little different situation than it is, uh, than it is now, I would suggest, and uh, do you feel the music reflected that in some way, at least the music that you were involved with in the 70s, reflecting the, the angst, I would say, and the, the struggle uh, between uh, the war and, and versus as the soldier as an individual? I think the thing that gave us the kind of connectivity uh, with our region of the country that labeled the Memphis Sound was because we were dealing with not only, like I said, the, the, the ability to make you want to dance, but also to get some emotional content from the messages in the song. And so uh, it, it was, in fact, motivated because of those times. And yes, it was definitely dealing with that. Certainly, with uh, those, there was. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. When you look at songs like uh, Let's Stay Together and, and other songs that were motivated even from coming out of Memphis, all of the emotions go even back before the war, but war, but leading up to it and certainly through it, uh, we never lost the identity to make people want to feel connected, connecting ways to, to, the, to the messages of songs and certainly of the times. And that's what, what we got our notice from. So a little bit more than, uh, as Paul McCartney says, silly love songs, right? I mean, these songs uh, from were, do reflect the times and present uh, issues uh, straightforward or behind the scenes in the feelings of this music as to what people were going through. I mean, we lived through it, but we were young children at the time. Uh, but it certainly set the soundtrack. I mean, music is like, uh, uh, to me, like a time machine in some ways. And so uh, hearing that you're involved with this show and you've lived through it and going back to, to reinvigorate uh, the soundtrack of our lives, so to speak, uh, and direct it in the 1970s uh, is exciting to me. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Michael and, and Graham have done, did an unbelievable job in writing, and uh, just the acting in this, this show is, is it's just so relatable to that period until it takes you on an emotional ride. When you look at that show, you think in terms of that you're there, and, and certainly I want, didn't want to compromise that by making poor songs and like, suggestions to anyone. It's a great, great. It's a great, great show, and it's a great combination. And we'll we'll throw it back to uh, to Michael Fuller and, and Graham Gordy and talk about people. Always talk about the 
novel versus whether it be the movie or the TV show of the novel. And sometimes they say one has uh, got more depth to it than another. But since you've got at least, and hopefully more, at least eight episodes to explore, the, the I presume, the first novel, um, there's a different feel. You, you're able, I think, to go into maybe a couple of chapters at a time of the novel instead of the whole novel in two hours. You're now able to, in a movie, you're now able to express it in eight hours. Do you feel that that, uh, that provides the audience with more depth and more understanding of the novel, novel itself? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, as, as Graham, this is Michael, as Graham touched on earlier, the, you know, when you meet the character in the books, he's, he's kind of this fully baked and, and detached hitman already, and, but in every book, and that's part of that's the, the nature of, of, you know, the, the, novel, uh, the novels themselves and the genre that Max, that Max is, Alan Collins is working in, and so what was interesting to us was, you know, in every novel, there's a, uh, every one of the books, they kind of jump around in time. It's, you know, it's not uh, like Game of Thrones where there's this giant overarching serialized narrative and cliffhangers from book to book. You know, what was interesting to us was the intro in every book that was one or two pages where he says, you know, the, uh, Corey says, this is where, how I got started in this. And we thought, let's unpack that as an origin story, particularly for this first season, and deal with him as he's coming home back to war and not getting the hero's welcome that he thought was was going to be awaiting him and being ostracized and shunned and how does how does this guy who's not you know so so many times when you see hitman characters or or crime characters they're they're just you know psychopaths or sociopaths and and this to us was how can we show how this you know this guy with nowhere else to turn in a vacuum because at the time there was no support for veterans whatsoever so how can we show with you know without that with a vacuum of support without anyone really there to to help him and ease his transition back into society, you know, how someone could find themselves wrapped up in a life of crime. And, you know, so, so not that obviously all veterans or people with PTSD or criminals are going to become hitmen or anything like that, but how this particular human being at this point in time uh, had kind of had events conspired uh, against him and had a string of, of bad luck that really led to him saying, I'm out of options, this is all I can do. And, and so the, the, you know, that really was what we wanted to explore for the first season and then getting him to that, that, you know, point in the books and then exploring that as more. Yeah. And, and really over the course of eight episodes, we can get really deep into, uh, you know, what that looks like and what those choices look like and how they affect the people around him. So, so there were 13 novels, right? Of, of Quarry. Yeah. Yeah. He's back for about 12, 12 a year. So uh, over the past few years, so yeah. Right. So you you guys are set up for a while, right? I mean, you have some source material <laughs> that can this thing can go on for ad infinitum almost, right? <laughs> that, that yeah, was well, good. It was you know, good thinking. I, yeah, My point I, was, I, it was really good thinking on your part. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We 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 set ourselves up for for success and perpetuity i think uh to, to keep going we'll never we'll never want for moves so i'm trying to get an idea as to the the timeline here because obviously this is sounds like a labor of love for for all three of you um when was the seed of the idea uh you know when when did that start to how long ago until the actual premiere of the show itself um yeah this is grand you know we we were in the Rectify uh, season one writers room. So that was uh, you know four four and a half years ago. Two thousand twelve. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two thousand twelve. So 
So, uh, the, you know, the initial sort of kernel of that idea, and then um, Michael and I, we, we wrote the pilot, and we wrote a show Bible, and then we went into uh, HBO, which owns Cinemax, and and uh, and sold it to them, and then we shot a pilot, and then, you know, their, their development process is very is very long, you know, they want to try to quality control as, as much as they can, so, you know, they, they ordered a second script, and then a third script, and then... You know, they saw the pilot, and then they and then they finally ended up ordering a, a season. So, you know, these these things do take a, a quite a long time. And, and I tell you, it's a uh, what do I say in the, in this way? It was worth the wait for us because it is honestly a show that sets a mood, places you right there, anti-hero that you will relate to and will understand at him and his buddy and what they're going through and and what motivated them to take this turn. And of course, there's a love story involved as well. Not to mention this tremendous soundtrack uh, that has been uh, consulted by and consulted, you know, with. A Hall of Fame composer, uh, David Porter. Tune in uh, to Cinemax every Friday night at 10 o'clock. Thank you, everyone, for your involvement and everything old is new again. We're so happy to to have had you here. Uh, Thank you again. We welcome every time you would like to come on our show. Thanks so much, guys. Honored to be here. Excellent. We'll be right back. Uh, We've got a minute and a half here. As soon as that uh, music settles down a smidge, and uh, I just wanted to say behind the scenes, uh, we'll we'll have this uh, just between us, so to speak, but it really is on the radio, uh, that we certainly did enjoy spending time with you. And I'll tell you, um, I'm looking forward to, to the conclusion. I just wonder, at the end of the 8th, uh, does it, is there a cliffhanger, or are you leaving us uh, with a period on the sentence at that point? Because I'd, I'd like to see a, a season two, and maybe a cliffhanger would <laughs> would, would have left the uh, powers that be have to reach it, renew it. Exactly. We we certainly we we answer uh, we answer a lot of the questions we introduced in, uh, over the course of the first season, but we certainly open plenty of of circles and, and leave uh, leave some unanswered uh, unanswered mysteries uh, dangling out there for sure. Excellent. And David, there's got to be a a wealth of more material for you to go to for, let's hope, fingers crossed, knock wood, season two and three and so forth, correct? I'm ready for it, and uh, just great writing on on all ends will will be a a catalyst for that. So I look forward to the opportunity. Just working with great people is just fantastic. Excellent. Again, once again, seriously, thank you all for for being with us. Good luck with the program. Uh, please don't forget us. You're on the media ride on the way up. Uh, we'd like to go with you. <laughs> yeah, we can do. We how about we do? How about we do after Quarry show? <laughs> that would be cool. Exactly. We'll have you guys. You guys can host the post Quarry show. There we go. Perfect. Put a put a good word in for us. Best wishes, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank so much, you. guys. All right, thanks. So we're now off Later. the air, and I, I yes, uh, thank you so much. And yeah, if you want to put a good word in for us, feel free. We're we're looking for work. So, uh, <laughs> but other than that, well, always.